What's up, guys, and welcome to MCS Podcast number 294. This is Buck Green, part of the staff here at MCS Magazine, sitting in for our editor, Jeff Anderson, and today we're still talking about the COVID-19 pandemic, but specifically about how that pandemic and our mental response to it affects your ability to prepare for and cope with the survival challenges that characterize this type of situation. Now, don't worry about taking notes because we've compiled all the bullet points for this week's podcast into a one-page handy-dandy cheat sheet at mcsmagazine.com slash 294. That's mcsmagazine.com slash 294. Okay, are you ready to start talking about your feelings? Then let's talk the five stages of pandemic grief. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. All right, we're back. I don't know if you remember back to your school days. I know they covered this when I was in school, uh, specifically when I took like an intro to psych class in college. But they talked about the five stages of grief, usually as they relate to terminal illness, sometimes to the death of a loved one. Uh, and we were taught that people experience the five stages of grief in different orders. Uh, sometimes they go through more than one stage simultaneously. Uh, you know, it, everyone's a little bit different. But the, the basic five stages of grief, they told us, were denial, bargaining, anger, depression, and acceptance. Um, the, the order can be mixed up, but usually acceptance is at the end. Now, uh, I think that it would be very easy to say that these five stages can be applied to our collective mental response to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, especially now that we're all enduring this uh, period of lockdowns and quarantines and waiting it out and going through the numbers. And uh, it's affecting all of us. Uh, it would be a lie for anyone to say, no, nah, it's not really affecting me. However, people react in different ways and people are in different stages of mental response. The point we're going to make by the time we're done with this podcast and sort of the action line that we want you to be able to take away is how important it is to get to the acceptance stage and to get there as fast as you can. I'm going to explain to you why that is, and we're going to explain how all of the stages come into play throughout the course of this podcast. So stage number one, denial. This one is obvious. We were all in denial at first, including our own government. Uh, our government told us early on that there was really no cause for alarm. We had government officials telling us, no, no, go about your business, go to this public event, go to that public event. It's really not going to be a big deal. It's really like the flu. It's it's just not a problem. Uh, the, the Chinese were telling us right up into the first stages of this pandemic, after they covered up the initial outbreak, that there was no, av no evidence of person-to-person -person transmission the World Health Organization was parroting that information. Well, of course, it was a lie. It was false. Everyone was in denial. Uh, you could, I'm not sure how I would characterize willfully covering up how bad the pandemic was as denial. So whether or not the Chinese were in denial or just trying to cover everything up and, and, and hope no one would look, which is so often the Chinese communist response to everything, um, that's not so much denial as it's deceit, but that's not a stage of emotional response. So that's sort of outside of this. But 
we as a nation were in denial about how potentially serious this could be. We did not want to face it. We did not want to think that the comfortable lives we were all living could be disrupted. We were experiencing you know, record economic growth. Things were going well for the most part, even though the news was very chaotic. Um, we strive to be very apolitical here at Modern Combat and Survival. Those of us on the staff have different political perspectives. I know last week when I talked about masks when I, while I was sitting in for Jeff, uh, I kind of went off on a rant, but I like to think I stayed very balanced in terms of politics. And it's important that you understand we are not making political points here. When I say that our government was in denial, they all were, both sides of the political aisle. Everyone was saying this was not going to be that big a deal. Even as elements of our government started taking action towards you know, dealing with this pandemic, the public face of everything was, no, no, this is not happening. Um, and denial, the put you, putting your hands over your ears and saying, this is not happening, uh, that's a very common response to world-ending, life-destroying tragedy. Um, it always makes me think of a couple of movies. Uh, I think it was the Tim Robbins movie, it's like Eric the Red or Eric the Viking. I forget the exact title, but uh, at one point, this entire society is collapsing and somebody's just going, this is not happening, you know, as it's happening. He's saying, no, no, that's not happening. You didn't see that. Um, and it makes me think of the the mayor from the movie Jaws, if you've ever seen that classic movie. Um, the, the mayor doesn't want to believe that there's a giant killer shark killing people, so he doesn't close the beaches, and of course people die. And it was all because he didn't want tourism to be disrupted. Well, we collectively were very much the mayor from Jaws. We, we did not want to believe that this could happen or that it would disrupt things as we know them. So we just kind of stuck our fingers in our ears and said, no, no, not going to be a problem. It's not happening. This is not happening. Um, and as a result, uh, I think that that streak of denial that we all initially had, well, obviously the government changed its tune. Um, you know, the WHO took forever to declare this a pandemic. You, you may not recall that, but in the early stages when this was racing around the world, the, the WHO was really slow to, to characterize it as a pandemic. Well, they finally did. And our government finally said, uh, yeah, this is a big problem. It's not like what we said at first. And that's when the lockdowns and the quarantine started because they started to take this seriously publicly. We don't know when they started taking it seriously behind the scenes because we're not privy to that information. I talked last week about the fact that they lied to us about the masks. They had a reason for doing so. They wanted to reserve masks for first responders and people who were definitely going to be dealing with the sick. Well, they finally changed their tune on that. And they said, no, no, you should be wearing non-medical face coverings in public. Leave the actual medical masks for the first responders. But yes, cover your face, which as we discussed at length in, in podcast 293, that makes perfect common sense to be covering everyone, to be covering their faces during a pandemic like this. Uh, the problem with being in denial is that if you do not accept that the threat is real, you are vulnerable to it and you will not take action against it. All of the people living in denial, blithely going out into public, uh, whether it's buying groceries without masks on, uh, you know, without protecting themselves in any way, or continuing to attend public events, they're all still behaving like this isn't real. I, in the last several days, um, I have been providing transportation for someone whose job is essential and, uh, you know, gets me out of the house a little bit. And uh, it, it's good to be doing something that hopefully helps. 
But I've been amazed at the number of people I've seen out and about who are not taking this seriously. They're not wearing masks. They're standing too close to other people. I saw a group of children riding bicycles together the other day, all of them packed together. Now, obviously, we don't want to live in a world where children aren't allowed to play. But at the same time, it's like, unless all of you kids live in the same household, you are increasing risk. My own mother... Uh, has a, a friend who's been coming over to watch the remote broadcast of their church services with them. That friend has been coming over for weeks. And I'm like, uh, Mom, that's kind of violating the whole concept of social distancing. And and so, you know, she she's trying to be careful, she says, but I'm very worried because you're introducing variables. When you're in denial, you are not reducing variables. And when it comes to the pandemic, the fewer variables for possible in infection you have in your life, the better off you are. You reduce those variables as much as possible. That's what the whole staying at home thing is all about, is reducing variables. If I'm not out going hither and yon from store to store and place to place, I am not exposing myself to potential for infection. So all of these people living in denial, you know... Their lives really haven't changed that much, although a lot of them are out of work now. The average person who still has income is still going out, getting groceries, getting gas. The gas stores are open. The food stores are open. Yes, restaurants are only available for delivery, but you still can get deliveries. Uh, there's a lot of people who just don't believe this is real. They're sort of living in a dreamland where they're skeptical. And for a lot of people, this is far, far away. Now, I personally am located in New York State, which is one of the hardest hit areas when it comes to the pandemic. But I'm in the upstate part of the state, not downstate in New York City, where most of the cases are concentrated, just the sheer majority of them. So even in the same state that is the hardest hit in the entire nation, the pandemic can feel far away, and as a result, it's very hard to accept the reality. There's also a, a perverse kind of denial that happens in people, I've felt it myself, where you want to rebel. You're like, I'm sick and tired of washing my hands every time I go out to the mailbox. I don't want to do it anymore. You know, you just have this, this urge to rebel because you're experiencing a kind of fatigue with it all. Denial in that way is almost a coping mechanism for something that you don't want to face. No, it's not happening. And if I just don't acknowledge it, it's not real. The threat is not real. People are continuing to attend public gatherings from going to church services. And I'm not talking about the drive-in church services where people are separated in their cars. I'm talking about a bunch of people getting into a room where they're all sharing the same air and surprise, surprise, a bunch of them are coming away infected. There are people still having swingers parties, for crying out loud. I, I read an article about that this morning, that there's a bunch of people attending sex parties during the age of pandemic, you know, with strangers. It's not like you have this close-knit group of friends. It's They're still meeting strangers and having sex with them. So it runs the gamut. You know, people who are in denial are run the spectrum from all the way over from Bible-believing churchgoers who, who definitely want to continue attending church all the way to the other end to the, you know, the people engaged in debauched sex parties. <laughs> like, the, denial knows no creed, apparently. So it's very important that you get past the denial stage of the five stages of pandemic grief, because until you do, you are not facing the threat. That brings us to stage number two. I'm going to call it two. Obviously, these can happen in any order. Bargaining. Uh, we have tried to bargain our way out of this pandemic by exchanging everything from our economy to our civil rights for this, this sense of safety. 
it's met with mixed results. You know, shutting down the economy, sort of putting a gun to our thriving economy and putting a bullet through it by government edict, supposedly is helping to flatten the curve, as they say. Social distancing is supposedly working. Part of me wonders, and this is, again, the denial stage, like, is this going to be like Y2K? I don't know if you remember Y2K, but that was when all of those computers that were only set up for two digits for the date were set to clock over to 1900 instead of 2000 when we went from the 1990s into the year 2000. Supposedly, this was going to cause all kinds of, of uh, computer collapse. So an entire industry rose up to fix the Y2K problem, as they called it. Well, when Y2K happened and nothing collapsed, they said, see, it worked. <laughs> and we'll never know. We'll never know if spending all that money fixing all that computer programming actually made a difference or not because it didn't happen. So we don't know. It's exactly like getting a flu shot. When you get the flu shot and then you don't get the flu, you have no way of knowing if the shot protected you or you just got lucky. If you do get sick, you have no way of knowing if the flu shot didn't work or you got a strain of the flu that was different from the one or two that that shot protected you from, supposedly. So again, it's like Y2K. You have no way of knowing if when it doesn't happen, it's because of the action you took. And in that same way, uh, the, you know, if the curve is flattening, uh, is that the natural progression of the disease? Is it because we were social distancing? If they're going to tell us, whatever the duration of this, that it worked and therefore we made it better by doing what we did. But we'll never really know. And it is natural in that first stage of denial to question that, to be skeptical of that. Um, at the same time, in this bargaining stage, we're willing to give up an awful lot. We have given up all of our civil rights. You are living in a police state. You are living in de facto martial law, whether you want to admit it or not. Uh, you know, every mayor and every governor across the United States is acting like a little king of his own city state. I think the governor of California even declared that California was a nation state and he was just going to conduct the government of California as he saw fit, irrespective of what the federal government is doing. Um, they're shutting down gun stores is not essential. Um, they're they're shutting down, like I said, uh, you know, finding church services for even having drive-in services where there's no uh, potential for infection. There was that horrible example of the guy who was out with his daughter alone in a park with his daughter. Police came up. They weren't wearing masks. They weren't wearing gloves. And they arrested and cuffed that father in front of his daughter because he was supposedly violating the rule that says you can't be outside in the park. But he wasn't in danger of being infected or spreading infection. And what they did was put him in danger. They, they, you know, By arresting him and coming into contact with him, they put him in danger. The guy who was surfing by himself, who got arrested for surfing completely alone because he was violating a stay-at-home order, well, they put him in jail where he's sure to be infected by someone else. Imagine the, the fascism and the complete amorality there. What kind of sociopath says, you know... You're not in any danger of being infected, but you broke the rules, so we're going to make sure you get sick. That'll show you. Which, of course, completely violates the whole principle that we're trying to apply here, which is to stop the spread of the disease. It is astonishing to me that in bargaining away our civil rights in the attempt to gain safety, we're creating a situation that is going to have far-reaching complications, far-reaching consequences, and I don't think we fully understand them. Now, I'm not saying don't abide by the rules. Uh, I'm not saying that you know you have a constitutional right to go to your church 
uh, whether you get infected or not. I'm, I'm not rendering an opinion on that. Like I said, I'm staying politically out of this as we are at MCS. We're just trying to give you the information you need to protect yourself and your family. But we need to consider the implications when we bargain away our rights and our freedoms in exchange for safety from the pandemic that bargaining has consequences. And it's still not the final stage that we need to get to in order to truly be able to protect ourselves and our families. It does, however, lead to what I'm gonna call stage three, anger. People are mad now. People are angry about the loss of their rights. They're angry about the power grabs taking place at the governmental level. And anger is dangerous. Anger has serious consequences. Um, people like Dr. Fauci are getting threats, and Fauci's not helping himself in that regard because he seems to really like being able to tell the little people what they are and are not allowed to do. He's sort of you know, acting like the de facto plague king of the United States, which doesn't help. So people are angry. They're making threats to public officials. They're hating on the government more and more, or anybody. It doesn't have to be the government. It can be anyone that you choose to blame. Um, here in New York State, Governor Cuomo declared that at gunpoint he was going to send the National Guard to confiscate, what we mean is steal, ventilators from upstate hospitals to take them to the downstate area because they had a shortage of ventilators downstate because of how hard hit they are by COVID-19. Well, what does that mean for those of us living in upstate? It means that if we get it and there is a need for a ventilator, there won't be one. You just get to die because you are a peasant who does not live downstate. Now, if I sound angry, it's because I very much am. I, I think depriving the people that this governor knows do not vote for him when the elections roll around in order to serve the people that he knows do vote for him, because, of course, this particular governor is, is overwhelmingly elected with the support of downstate voters, not upstate voters. It's very different cultures between the two areas of the state. Well, when you start just, you know, waging your power like a dictator and causing people to die as a result, yes, people get very, very angry. So public anger is, is a very dangerous thing because the angrier people get, the less likely they are to do what needs to be done, both to protect themselves, but also to protect everybody else. I've seen a lot of memes about this. When the government suggests, hey, maybe you should stay home so you don't get sick, people are pretty much okay with that. When the government says, you are not allowed to go outside, well, suddenly everybody wants to defy. It's that natural contrary nature. We get angry about being what we perceive as bullied. So we start acting out. At the same time, anger permeating through society is very dangerous because everyone is on a hair trigger right now. I almost got into a fight with a guy in Walmart when I was out uh, making a supply run very early into this pandemic because tensions were running high. Um, I've seen other people get into fights. I witnessed a weird domestic incident on the street outside my place a few weeks ago. Um, everywhere you go, everyone is so angry. And they're angry because they're afraid. The two emotions are mixed together. I talked to a friend of a friend who went to a grocery store just last week, and he said it was so surreal. Everyone's wearing a mask. No one's talking to each other. In the grocery store, all you can hear is the sound of carts being wheeled through the store, and it's utterly silent otherwise. And it's because people are angry and afraid, and that's a dangerous combination. So you get all these people on a hair trigger, and you start getting incidents like the guy who coughed on someone else, so that dude emptied his gun into the front tire of that other guy's car. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that viral video floating around. One of our readers actually sent it to us over at the MCS Magazine Facebook page. 
Um, there's more and more violent incidents like that. There was a, a story I read just the other day about a couple who confronted some people on the beach and got beaten with a baseball bat for daring to suggest that those people uh, engage in social distancing. This anger is everywhere, and everybody is more dangerous now as a result. I feel it too when I'm just on those rare occasions that I go out, I'm angry and I just want to lash out. I'm so furious at the state of the world, and I sort of um, oscillate between that feeling of anger and what we're going to call stage four which is depression. Depression is a coping mechanism. Never forget that. Always remember that when you get depressed, it's your brain actually attempting to cope with a situation that is probably beyond your control or that you don't want to deal with. So sinking into a depression is your way of saying, well, I, I just can't care. I don't care about anything. I'm, I'm sad and I just want to not function. And at its ex most extreme, depression is lying down and dying. It's saying, oh, there's nothing I can do. Why, why bother? I'm just not going to do it. Well, you can obviously see why depression is counteractive when it comes to survival. Because if you're depressed, you're not going to take the action you need to deal with the situation. Depression is very common, especially in these extended periods of isolation, the quarantines, the lockdowns. I saw a story just the other day about a kid who took his own life because he couldn't handle the isolation of quarantine. Um, it's real. And, and with all these people unemployed, millions of people suffering economic hardships, it's that much worse. So depression really threatens us. There's a few coping uh, strategies you can take when it comes to depression. One of those is activity. It is a proven fact that physical activity helps improve feelings of depression. So they say that if you're feeling depressed, you should make an attempt to get out and exercise. That's harder than ever for a lot of us right now. But if you still can, you should go walking, uh, avoiding people. You should be exercising at home. You should be getting outside into your own yard, doing what you can to engage in, in uh, physical activity. The second thing you can do is self-care. Uh, self-care means maintaining yourself. Shower, shave, put on clean clothes, make an effort to physically maintain a sense of normalcy and of taking care of yourself rather than letting yourself like wear the same pair of pajamas every day and you let your quarantine beard grow out and you just become a rag bag. You know, you, your outward state has an effect on your inward state and vice versa. And if you allow yourself to just sort of go to hell, you will feel that way mentally. So self-care is very important. A third thing you can do to fight depression is to distract yourself with uh, movies that you like, video games that you like, things that you can focus on that take your mind off the constant uh, unhappiness of the current situation. And distraction also means avoiding the news. If you're overdosing on news, you got to stop. I've had to cut back, even though I have to stay informed in order to do things like this. But you really need to moderate that because if you just immerse yourself in the bad news every day you wake up and go, what bad news are they going to hit us with today? It can really drive you into deep, deep despair. A fourth thing you can do if you are a religious person, if you have a religious faith, is to engage in prayer. Um, you know, get get back to your faith, read your Bible or, or whatever, whatever corresponds to your religion. Um, do that. And finally, a, a fifth strategy you can use for dealing with depression is, uh, let's see, did I count that right? Activity, self-care, distraction, prayer, and the fifth thing, discipline. And by discipline, I mean 
having a routine, having a schedule that you adhere to, um, plotting out your days and sticking to that, um, a regimen, if you will. Discipline helps with depression by giving structure to your life, especially if you're home and not going to work right now. It's very easy for one day to bleed into the next and you're not really motivated to do anything. You got to break out of that. And discipline is one way to help you do that by maintaining a regimented schedule. So all of these stages, denial, bargaining, anger, depression, they're all things we need to progress through if we are going to protect ourselves and provide for our families. We need to get to stage five, acceptance. That is the action line for this podcast, and that's what I want you to take away from this. If you didn't know it before, you need to know it now. You need to work through these stages, denial, bargaining, anger, depression, to get to acceptance. Because the faster you accept what is happening, the better able you will be to prepare for it. Uh, preppers, survivalists, I, I tend to think of preppers as sort of the new term and survivalism was the older term for what we do. I used to read American Survival Guide back in the day before it went away and then came back again. Um, I consider myself an old school survivalist from the 80s, from the Cold War. Um, but regardless of when you started doing it, there are a lot of preppers right now, a lot of survivalists who are very much vindicated. And there were a number of news articles trying to make them out to be smug about the fact that they were vindicated. But the fact is, preppers and people who've been saying that this is a possibility, MCS Magazine has, has been talking about the danger of pandemic, among other threats, for a very long time. And all of those people saw the tragic reality of these things coming to fruition with COVID-19. Um, so you can see that in a lot of cases, people who've been preparing, you know, uh, who may have had survival food stored before, or had survival gear stored before, uh, that suddenly you can't get now because, uh, you know, of all the panic buying, try to buy survival food right now. You'll be on a wait list that's months long. Well, if you were already prepared, then you already have a lot of what you needed. And you're just now, you're working to maintain, you're working to augment your supplies, you're working to do what you can. Um, if you weren't prepared, there's still things you can do. And it's a little harder, but you know, you, you do not dare throw up your hands and go, well, I wasn't prepared before, so there's no point in trying now. No, acceptance means accepting that you live in a post-apocalyptic world now. By definition, this was an apocalypse, a very mild one, you know, a very minor one compared to the movies, but an apocalypse nonetheless. Our, our thriving economy ground to a halt. The entire world was impacted by this. Thousands of people are dead who would not have died otherwise if they hadn't caught COVID-19. So the threat is real. The impact on society is real. We are living in a post-apocalyptic world. Accept that and move forward. What does that mean? It means that on a daily basis, you need to be doing what you can to obtain those supplies that will provide for your family. It means that on a daily basis, you also need to accept that there will be things you cannot control and things you cannot do and things you cannot get. You will discover that, well, there was food items that you liked that you can't get now, but you can still get food. You can still survive. There will be things you wanted to be able to do that you cannot do, but you will still be able to survive. This is a situation that must be endured. And by accepting its reality and preparing for it and taking those actions you can, both to protect yourself and to provide, get the supplies you need to get through, you will get through this and you will be stronger and better off for it because you accepted the reality 
This is a post-apocalyptic world. I was led to understand there would be a lot more chicken wire and mutants and four-wheel drive vehicles, but all right, we have what we have. So we need to move forward accepting the reality and taking the actions that we can to prepare. Specifically, we need to prepare, we need to train, and we need to survive. That has been the slogan here at MCS Magazine, and we are going to help you to continue to get through it. Until next time, this is Buck Green in for Jeff Anderson and MCS Magazine saying prepare, train, and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.